Hey, welcome to More Than Bread, a podcast that, that without reservation believes in the vital value of the words of God. And in fact, like Jesus said, we need more than bread to thrive. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. So welcome to episode number 244. I'm Dan, and I'm your waiter for this feast of God's words. Not the chef, that's the Spirit of God. But I will do everything I can to bring it to you, to serve you well. Now, before we dive into the last part of Colossians chapter 3, let me kind of set the reading of the word, really set up the whole podcast with just a couple of questions. What have I told you that I am a stock guru? (laughs) My current investment ability makes Motley Fool look like a financial toddler. And if you'll just invest $100 using my method, you'll gain $10,000 by year and a hundredfold increase. What would you say? Well, it depends. If your idea of financial gain involves emails from Nigeria, you might say, wow, can I invest $1,000? But let's say you checked out my strategies and you talked to past satisfied customers. I mean, wouldn't you be t- tempted to... The, the potential of a hundredfold return on investment, it almost seems too good to be true. But if it's true, it's good, right? Over the course of the last, I don't know, number of weeks, I've been reminded why I don't often try to lose weight. It's hard. I'm so much better at finding weight. <laughs> you have to burn like 3,500 calories to lose one pound. That's a lifetime sentence to treadmill prison. So... So I'm I'm always looking for an easier way. Now, what if I told you that I discovered a new exercise? It's so efficient that all you have to do is burn 35 calories to lose one pound of weight. 100 times more efficient. You burn 35 calories on a Sunday afternoon, click and like on Facebook. I mean, would you try it? Of course you would. You might not tell anyone you tried it, but you would try it. Because even though a 100-fold return on my exercise investment seems like it's too good to be true, if it's true, it would be good. Because we're all looking for something more, right? We aren't aren't looking for breakthrough for breakthrough's sake. We're, We're looking for a breakthrough to something more, more for my marriage, more for my friends, my heart, something more than worry, more more impact, more life. What if I told you that there is a potential breakthrough available to you that would give you a 100-fold return on your life? Now, I know life is, that's a broad, all-encompassing word, but that's, that's really what we're looking for, the kind of life that goes broad and deep and far and wide that, that impacts every circle of my life, my relationships and my vocation, my, my causes and my passions, my mental health and physical health and relational health and emotional health. So many of us need a breakthrough to more life. So so listen to the conclusion. You can read the whole thing later, but the conclusion of a story that Jesus shares in Mark chapter 4, it's a story about soils and seeds and harvest. That's really a story about hearts and the Word of God and breakthrough. So the story's conclusion is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 20, and here's what Jesus said, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Now, the soil is our heart. The seed is his word. And when good seed meets good soil, there is potential for great harvest. Listen, there's amazing power in words, right? Especially when it's the words of Jesus. 
And that's where we start in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 25. I'm reading from the New International Version, and Paul writes this, Let the message, let the words of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Do some wisdom work is what Paul is saying. Use the word and do some wisdom work. And through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, verse 17, and whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Now, I'm not going to ignore the stuff in the middle, that submission stuff, slavery stuff. We'll, we'll get into the slavery stuff actually a little bit more when we get into Philemon. But but for this episode, I want to lean into the beginning and the ending of this grouping of verses as much as possible. The stuff in the middle about submission and families and slaves, it's all important, totally important. But understanding the beginning and the ending is vital. So verse 17 is the beginning. Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, anything that you do, everything that you do, whatever you say, anything you say, everything that you say, do it all in the name of Jesus. And then verses 23 and 24 is the ending, and it comes full circle. Paul says it again, but differently. Whatever you do, everything that you do, anything that you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Like you're doing it for Jesus, serving Jesus, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, do it like you're doing it for Jesus. Now, what does it mean to do everything in Jesus' name, to live in Jesus' name? Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and and kind of as a, a climax of instruction on living a life like Jesus, today we understand this idea of doing something in the name of someone. That means we're doing it to honor them, right? Doing it like like they would do it. But generally speaking in the Bible, a person's name has to do with his or her character. So doing something in Jesus' name means doing it in his character. It means doing it as Jesus himself would do it if he were you. But what is really striking here is the comprehensive nature of what what Paul says. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you say or do, everything that you say or do, anything that you say and do, I mean, it's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? What wouldn't be included in whatever? So what would it mean to wake up in the name of Jesus? (laughs) I mean, from my personal experience, you could divide the human race into two categories, those who love getting up in the morning and those who hate those who love getting up in the morning. True? (laughs) I bet if I asked the question, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? Half of you would say yes, and the other half would say no. I don't wake up grumpy. I try to let him wake up on his own. (laughs) What does it mean to wake up in the name of Jesus? 
Would your head be filled with anxieties about the problems ahead and the missed opportunities behind? Or would you would you feel this an immediate sense of peace as you said good morning to the God who created night and day? Well, what does it mean to greet people in the name of Jesus? You know, at at the at the grocery store or or at church or at work, do you do you look right at them? Do you listen to them when they respond to your hi, how are you doing with an answer less than enthusiastic? I'll never forget this was a, a Christmas season. I was in the bathroom at at Walmart and 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 I I heard this little kid say to his daddy, his dad had brought him in to go to the bathroom. And I, I heard this little kid say to his dad, Daddy, I love you. And the father just very gruffly said, just hurry up and go to the bathroom. I don't want to be here in here all night. And my heart just kind of broke, partially because of the father's brush off of a son's love, but but partially because I know in different circumstances, I've I've done something similar. Sometimes I'm more subtle about it. But what does it mean to take your son to the bathroom in the name of Jesus? What, what does it mean to drive in the name of Jesus? What would Jesus listen to in the car while he was driving? Fox or CNN, country classic or worship music or Taylor Swift? May, maybe his driving time would be filled with productive growth tapes or or he'd listen to a, a He'd listen to something just for the pure enjoyment of it. What would it mean to help around the house in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to go to work in the name of Jesus? Your job might bring you into contact with many people in the course of a day. To work in the name of Jesus would certainly mean that you would see them as people before you saw them as customers or employees or complainers. Maybe you'd even say a quick prayer for them. If you work with your hands, you might reflect on the fact that Paul was a tent maker and Adam and Eve were gardeners and Joseph was a carpenter and Ruth and Mary were homemakers. You might offer your labors to God as a gift. What does it mean to answer the phone in the name of Jesus when the caller is a salesperson. If you went shopping in the name of Jesus, would you walk out of the store with anything different or anything less? And maybe you're thinking, oh, enough already, Dan. I get the point. But but do we? I mean, really, do we? See, having a, a life like Jesus, it's not a religious thing. It's not a Sunday event. It, it's a Monday through Sunday lifestyle. And I mean, it's, it's hearing Jesus and putting into practice what we hear. It's the, the building of a life piece by piece, day by day, way by way. It's the daily accumulation of Jesus in you. And that's a choice. It, it takes intentional choices to make meaningful changes, right? William Paulsell says it's unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our lives. But man, when we make those choices, such good can happen. It was probably, I don't know, about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, Chuck Colson was sharing about his experience at a national prayer breakfast in D.C. I don't even know if they have National Day of Prayer Breakfast in D.C. anymore. But at that time, the national prayer breakfast was kind of a big thing in D.C. All the political leaders went, mostly to be seen at the event, to be honest. Entertainers would come, all the power brokers Colson said, here we were in the room with congressmen and senators and TV moguls and religious leaders and, and the president. And guess who the most powerful person in the room was that day, son? It was Mother Teresa. Now, she didn't have great physical strength. In fact, she was nearing the end of her life. She certainly didn't have wealth or prestige. She didn't have a marvelous title, but she had so much power, so much spiritual authority that even a president would listen 
to her scolding. And that's what she was doing on that particular day. She was scolding this room full of some of the most powerful men and women in the United States. Why? Why could she do that? It was because she had lived her life following the ways of Jesus, doing what she did in his name, being a servant. I mean, her greatness was not in her physical strength or wealth or titles or crowns or robes. It, it was in a bended knee and a dirty towel. And I can't help but think when all is said and done, what will be said about what you have done? What will be said about what I have done? I mean, will they be able to quote Colossians 3, 23 through 24, my memorial service? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people because you know that you'll get an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's Christ that you're serving. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're working for Jesus, serving Jesus, serving others. I mean, that's not always an easy calling, is it? <laughs> Andrew Carnegie called it the principle of no competition. He said, commit yourself without reservation to serving the needs of others, and you'll have no competition. Now, most of us aren't inclined to head that way. But Jesus asks, if, if we get what this is all about, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's seeing how you treat the people around you. And and not always when people are looking, not when there's a camera clicking or some fanfare for it or even some simple recognition, but it's what you do to unselfishly meet the needs of others. How do you do that? How, how do we become that? Now, I, I know it's a whole different person, but James, a brother of Jesus, says this. He says, we, we do that and we become that when we humble ourselves before the Lord. That word humble literally means to go low. When we bring ourselves low before the Lord, he writes in James 4, 7 through 10, submit. We, we'll come to that word again in a few minutes from Paul and Colossians. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Can I give you the secret to humbling yourself before God? If I want to get rid of the pride and, and be humble before God, I have to humble myself, myself before others. You, you got to take every opportunity you can to practice the discipline of submission, surrender, give in, even when you don't feel like it. Learn to listen to and, and learn from the people you think are foolish, small, or unimportant. Set, set aside your abilities and let yourself be led. Be the weak and the meek. Be led by the weak and the meek. See, if I, I cannot humble myself in a relationship to people, I'll never humble myself before God. And in a broad way, this is what all the middle verses of this passage are are about wives, submit yourselves to husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Fathers, don't embitter your kids. They'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. See, verses 20 through 24 are all different ways to humble ourselves before God. We cannot humble ourselves before God if we can't humble ourselves in front of others. So we need to get good at saying things like, I value your opinion. Let's do it your way. Here's what I think, but I could be wrong. 
I, I really want to understand your view. I'm, I'm curious about what you're saying. We, we need to get good at letting people see our need. That's the way of humility. Uh, we need to recognize our inadequacy and embrace our brokenness. We need to get good at saying, would you help me? Would you pray for me? I, I can't do it alone. This is the way of humility. And here's the good news. If you're having trouble humbling yourself before others, if you ask God, he'll help you. You know, when I think of the state of the church in America, actually, let me just personalize it. When I think of the state of my own heart, how much of whatever we do is actually done in the name of Christ and with the heart of Christ and in honor of Christ, here's the thought that comes to my mind. It's worse than we think, and it's better than we can imagine. Some of you may not be ready to hear me say this because it requires a certain softness of heart and inclination of our souls to God. It requires a posture of surrender and brokenness and vulnerability. It requires a choice to chase Christ with all our hearts. But when I look at the church in America today, I would have to say our sin is worse than we think. This is the heart of our problem. We have a sin problem. It's not just a a failure problem or a reputation problem. It's a rebellion problem. We've allowed our identities and our dreams, our very stories, to be shaped by kingdoms that do not call Christ king. And and if we're not willing to own it, if we're not willing to own the reality that we desire power and affirmation and comfort and control more than we crave Christ, then honestly, it's worse than we think. But oh my gloriously gracious God, it's better than we can imagine. If you are a Christ follower, you have the very spirit of God in you. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven with full access to the God who is your father. You're not just a citizen, you're family. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you. You have a hope that gives birth to expectancy now and forever. And all of creation is cheering you on. And all of us, we're only a humble yourself repentance moment away from being lifted up by God himself. So whatever you do, if all of your whatevers are not being done in the name of Jesus, then take a moment even right now and ask Jesus, what whatever do I need to lay at his feet? Jesus, I I just pray. I, I pray for the the sweet spirit of conviction from your Holy Spirit that that if there's things in Colossians 3 throughout the whole chapter, things that I need to take off and and things that I need to put on, if I need to evaluate the whatevers of my life, whatever it is, God, if the the places where I'm not surrendered to you, I I haven't given that over to you, God, whatever it is for, for me, for anybody listening, God, would you show us by your spirit what it is? And would you give us the spiritual power, the the, the trust in you to give that up, to surrender that. God, may we humble ourselves before you so that you will lift us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.